Welcome to Securitas Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 55 for Monday, September 19th, 2011. I am Bill Wadman. And I am Dan Gottesman. And I am again on a real microphone. Congratulations. Thank you. Wel- welcome back to the real microphone world. You know, it's the one problem with having multiple mics on a system mm-hmm. is that you see things going and you assume that it's the same way because mm-hmm. it was all working before you installed Lion. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that you never used GarageBand on Lion before. So all of the settings recorded, yeah. are, are different. And next thing you know, wah, wah, yeah. sad trombone. Yeah. But what's interesting about it, maybe I can actually even cut in an example. Oh, boy. Is that I, I'm not happy about the my audio from last week. But uh-huh. I saved my audio from last week from certain death. Certain death. Absolutely. I don't know. It didn't sound that bad. I'm going to play you the. I'm going to. Say, I'm going to put the original in here, and you'll be able to hear. It's. It's insane how bad it sounded. So. So we're going to make a mark now. So that. So this is going to be the original. Here's a sample of Bill's original audio. We have pictures, and they're stored on here as if this was a little digital camera. But then there's also this wireless side over here. Yeah. And. Here's a sample of the fixed audio. We have pictures and they're stored on here as if this was a little digital camera, but then there's also this wireless side over here. Right? There you go. All right, yeah. so now... No, That'll be fun to put in later. Oh, yeah, if you don't forget. Um, <laughs> is, is, is that I fixed this, fixed it, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. I hacked it back together again mm-hmm. um, using plugins. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was I have a little Logitech USB video camera plugged mm. in. AKA a webcam. A webcam. I've never liked that term, man. I mean, I get it, but come on. It's a, it's a video camera. It's not a webcam. Come right. On. Well, especially now, this one I think is, it's at least 720p, if not 1080p. Yeah. It's like, I'm, you know, hmm. it's it's better than a DV camera. You know, well, it suppose. looks really good. I'm sure it looks fine. I mean, the, the I, I've been nothing but... Uh, Impressed by the the miniaturization of cameras, man. I still can't get over the freaking camera that's in my phone. You know, yeah. uh, and the thing's like the size of a freaking pea. I mean, it's teeny weeny. Yep, Japanesey. <laughs> that's not how it goes. Oh right, um, easy so, peasy. Japanese. Oh right, of course. Yeah, that's very Shawshank, isn't it? Uh, they yeah, use that line in Shawshank. Really? Yeah. I guess they do. Easy peasy Japanesey. The old guy does. I think you're right. Brooks. Yeah. So, I, I was trying to figure out how to deal with this. Now, the problem was is that this mic was not, like, sitting in front of me, a foot and a half in front of me. Mm. It was, like, two and a half feet away from me, and it was actually, like, folded up on top of the speaker next to my computer. Right. So, this was, like, the least ideal situation. Basically, it was pointed towards the ceiling of my room. Yeah. Which means what I got was essentially a room mic. Yeah, like a speakerphone sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um... And I think the mics on these things are actually a little bit directional. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so so what I got was this mess where you could hear that I was saying stuff, but it was enveloped in this huge swash of Mick Gazowski-like reverb. We're going to have to make a reference to that now? He's a recording engineer, and uh-huh. he does all those, like, all those big, giant, like, uh, Michael Bolton ballads and those things where it's, like, massive amounts, like, three-second-long reverbs on everything. Uh-huh. He's that guy. Gotcha. Um, he does it really well, though, in a way that doesn't end up enveloping the vocal, and he's that's why he is who he is. Gotcha. Um, so, so I'm like, man, well, how do you get rid of reverb? Now, I went to school for music and recording and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So my education's in. And back in the day, this was back in the day, was 13, 14 years ago. The 90s. Yeah. There, there was no way to remove reverb like reverb you can't re- i mean you can gate uh after people are talking you know and that'll get rid of the thing the trails but if i'm talking to you right now in this continuous thing and there's reverb on it it's all overlapping with each other and you can't specifically go in and remove the reverby parts right um so but i'm like i was thinking to myself as i was doing this well they can remove noise right which makes sense you could take a signature of noise basically like if i stop talking for a second 
Yeah. Whatever's in that empty space, I could tell the computer, this is what I want you to remove. And it'll go in and remove that from the whole thing, leaving just the vocals that aren't that. Yeah, when um, you when you're if you've ever uh, been on a film or commercial shoot, like where there's you know sound being recorded, yeah, it's very common for the sound recorder guy to record a few seconds of quote unquote silence, you know, just the room sound, uh, which I think they call room tone. Yep. So that they can match things, and if they ever sometimes they'll just need to like, let's say somebody was talking, and they wanted to mute something out for a minute. You know, you can't just drop in silence there. <laughs> uh, so you need a nice, clean, you know, chunk of, of nothingness that you can use to, to paste on top of stuff. Right. And example. so I you could do that. And I actually, I did that as well because um, there was so much noise on the street. Right. Uh, and this little mic picks that kind of stuff up in a way that this condenser in front of me does not. Right. So I used uh, Denoiser, your, uh, uh, a noise reduction plugin. Now, these have been around for a long time. It's a very complex thing. Doing it right is is very complex. And uh, this company called Waves oh, yeah. makes, well, makes all these plugins. Waves has been around for a long time. They have. And they make exceptionally good plugins as a general rule. Mm-hmm. Um, their Renaissance series of plugins, uh, which is their compressor. They have a compressor. They have some EQs. They have this kind of stuff. Um, sound. They sound like analog boxes. They're pretty darn good. Um they so even I, make well, you know, they they actually think made for a while. I don't think they do anymore, but they actually made a, a piece of hardware, which basically just had these plugins built in. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I actually, you know what? I do remember it was that black. It was like two Utah, and it was like five thousand dollars something. It was really expensive. I'm sure because yeah. I mean the plugins are really expensive. Yeah. Um, so I, I used one of those plugins, but you know they're worth every penny if that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got rid of some room noise, and then I was like, got to do something about this reverb because I can compress this. And I can EQ it to try to, you know, bring up some low end in my voice and whatever, but that's just going to pull everything else up with it, including the reverb. So I found this company called SPL mm-hmm. that makes plugins, one of which is called Deverb. Hmm. That's and an old one, too. Yeah, it's been around, Deverb. I think, for a little while, but I think that they're getting better at it. They used to bundle that with Pro Tools way back in the day. Okay, well. If it's the one I think, if, it's one where, if, it's, if we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, this one is... I, I am very impressed. I mean, it's not perfect, of course, but as far as, like, improving oh, wait, when it... You, when, you, when you say it's D-verb, it's not D-verb, is it? Uh, it's D-E-verb, I think. Oh, and that's designed to remove reverb. Right. Ah, see, what I'm talking about is another one. It's, what I, the thing I'm talking about is, is D-verb. It's D-V-E-R-B, and it... Uh, like Dennis's reverb. It's 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 just an, an you know another fancy reverb plugin that I, okay. I think it was one of the first ones that supported the importing and exporting of impulse responses. Sure. Yep. Um, Soundforge used to do that stuff too. Yeah. I mean, I haven't thought about that stuff in a really long time. Yeah. So this one uses some sort of processing technique with transients and whatever, mm-hmm. and you can you can like basically there's a dial and you can dial down the reverb on something interesting it's not going to get you back to where you were before reverb was ever applied Mm. but but in a a fix like in a forensic kind of situation which is somewhat what i was in like a triage situation where yeah you know you're just trying to make the most of it so to speak i i i'll you know you'll well you'll hear hear it in those examples that i Mm -hmm. i'll put in the beginning Mm. um it's it's really that cool i was like wow this is amazing that this could actually work sweet you know, yeah, um, and it gets you thinking about plugins in general because these things are all over the place. Um, and the the uh, it used to be on Windows that most of the plugins were in this DirectX format, mm-hmm. um, and then on a Mac before Audio Units, which is what they use now, right? Yeah, yeah. Audio Units came around. I want to say in Mac OS ten three or ten four. Yeah, they're maybe pretty, Tiger. They're pretty, they're pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before that, was it all? It was like you know there was the Pro Tools, the RTAS. Yeah, there stuff. were there were there were basically the there were three main ones. Uh, RTAS, which was the um, what was that? I think that was that the Pro Tools one. Yeah. There's I think so. there. So there's the the two main um, platforms. Well, uh, an, an audio. If I and this is, I'll preface this by saying it's been a really long time since I've 
thought about this stuff. And I don't do research because that's not the way I roll <laughs> before. I mean, I mean, I don't do research before we talk about stuff. Sure. So I'm just going off the top of my head. Um, but uh, the three big, um, what's it called? Uh, I guess platforms on the Mac. There was Pro Tools. And at the time, this is before Pro Tools LE, which was the version of Pro Tools that didn't require hardware. In the old days, Pro Tools, if you wanted Pro Tools, you needed to buy a special card yeah. that had DSPs on it yep. that could run the Pro Tools hardware and all of the associated software and plugins. So and if you, you used wanted to, have special, to buy the farm cards. Well, farm cards were if you wanted, you know, wanted Extra. additional processing. Yeah. But the, the main master Pro Tools card was required to run the software. And then if you had a, a bunch of plugins, like let's say you had a multitrack studio and you were doing a whole bunch of, you know, recording and you wanted like, reverb on all eight or nine or you know whatever 25 channels or whatever you'd need additional dsps yeah um which you could which you could purchase and people would even get like external pci card chassis with like another nine slots in them just so they can stuff them with those those dsp cards or farm cards as they were called anyway which cracks me up because it wasn't that long after that i mean i recorded a record in say 2001 maybe mm-hmm. um where I recorded and mixed the whole thing with native plugins, and I used a lot of them. Mm. And there were times when it was getting close to maxing out my CPU. Mm. But a good 10 years ago, you were getting to the point where, unless you were using hundreds of plugins, yeah. your native system nowadays, man... Oh, like, yeah. It's totally I, different. It's, but it's, I think they still sell some of that stuff, don't they? Well, I think... I think the, the There's a latency improvement, supposedly, but I don't know how much of that is just, you know... Did you design saying buy our expensive hardware? Yeah, I, I think the, the I remember having conversations with people who had chips on their shoulder about Digidesign's uh, just and just so you you guys don't know if you don't know Digidesign is the company that uh, made Pro Tools, which has since been purchased by uh, Avid, yep. which I'm sure you've heard of. It's a video editing company now, so that's technically Avid Pro Tools. But anyway, back in the old days when Pro Tools was still kind of in its earlier versions. Um, DigiDesign, a.k.a. Digi, as people would call it, uh, had a pretty strict set of restrictions as far as Digi-approved uh, components. M- yeah. Most most famously hard drives, but there were other parts, other, other you know, things like, like I remember there were certain, um, what's it called? It's like certain PCI chassis, certain cables, like this is a Digi-approved SCSI cable. It's like, come on, dude, really? Such a bull. <laughs> yeah, but, but at the same they time... They used to use USB dongles, too, didn't they? And they actually, they used SCSI dongles? What did they uh, use before? Because there was something before USB dongles that you actually had to have plugged into your Mac. Well, before USB, there was ADB, the, would, the, would the Apple desktop Would bus. there have been an ADB dongle? Oh, yeah, there were tons of oh, ADB okay. dongles. Totally. And they, they were actually, the first time I ever saw one was for a 3D program. Uh, called Presenter Professional by a company called Vidi. I can't remember whatever happened to it, but uh, but yeah, no uh, Pro Tools and the, you know most most of the dongle hardware uh, dongle you know supported software that I I would run into were graphic design um, apps, most commonly like really expensive uh, RIP software, like for for rendering um, you know PDF not PDFs but for rendering PostScript and t- to to talk to those like really expensive like agfa image sure. setters and you know all these different sorts of, you know these and these were like thousands of dollars um so to to prevent uh software piracy i don't know if anyone if our if our listeners know what dongles are but a dongle is essentially like a little hardware key and it's a little it's actually a piece of hardware uh in the old days it was a like a, either a serial or a an adb on a macintosh um Gizmo, which essentially had a little pass-through on it, so that you can chain them together if you wanted. Uh, and nowadays, it's it's usually done via USB, like a little thumb drive. And you, it's a hardware key, so it's like a you can't launch the application without that key being physically present on the system. So if you open the application and the key's not in a USB slot and seen by the system, it won't launch. So it's also that's, one of the first things that gets cracked. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's pretty neat the way they do that now, actually. They, they make these emulators where, you know, they sort of spoof the USB system and, and you know, all you need to do is, you know, tell the code, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm this dongle. And then, and then the system sees it and it's yeah. pretty slick. Anyway, back, back to my original point. Um, so there were a couple of different like platforms. There's the RTAS, which I think was the Pro Tools, like that if you had the hardware, um, yep. And then there was something uh, a, a cheaper, much more like friendly version, uh, or not version, a uh, much more friendly platform called VST, which right. was um, I think part of Cubase, right? 
Uh, yeah, Steinberg? it was a Cubase thing, Steinberg Cubase. And um, that, those were on PC as well. I just yeah. never used Cubase, so VST didn't matter. Although yeah. it later became a more universal standard. So that, yeah. And there were, there were like weird people would write, like I used to use Sonar for a while. Oh, sure. I remember that. And um, people, the, Sonar Cakewalk or whoever made Sonar mm-hmm. uh, would made a uh, DirectX plugin that basically was a wrapper for VST plugins hmm. so that it could use VST plugins inside of its DirectX system. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which was kind of cool because then, you, but it was funny because when you added VST plugins, you had to go in and sort of research your computer for new plugins. Yeah. And it would uh, add those to its own little database and then that would get added to the main data. It was a little bit of a kludge, yeah, but yeah. it worked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think the, the third one, uh, Mark of the Unicorn, a.k.a. Motu. I don't know why they... Ca- that's such a stupid name. Mark of the Unicorn? Really? Yeah. The Unicorn? Anyway. What, what was that I don't originally? Know. Mark of the Unicorn. I don't know. I, don't I know, know, I know. But I mean, why that? I do not know, man. Uh, they're from Boston. My oh. friend... Uh, all those things are from Boston. Cakewalks from Boston. Hmm. Logic. Uh, not Logic. No, um, Logic. E-Magic is from Germany. Those no, I, right, right, right. No, E-Magic was. But uh, what was the other one? that I The, the MIDI software. Oh, Opcode? Oh, yeah. Actually, they're from California. Did I ever mm. tell you about the, st- the kid who I met who did that? Who did what? Who who wrote Vision? I'll tell you that story in a minute. Finish okay. what you're saying. No, and so, la- yeah, Motu was... Um, they, they had a, a piece of software called Performer, which they still make. Uh, and I think... My friend they, Harden uses it. Yeah, in the old days... Um, before all of these audio applications were like super integrated, uh, it used to be very segregated. So like if you wanted to do MIDI sequencing, then you needed to use a MIDI sequencing program like Opcode's Vision or uh, Motu's Performer. Uh, And if you wanted to do audio recording, uh, you needed a separate application for that. Like uh, in the old days, uh, Sound Designer 2 or uh, Bias's Peak or Pro Tools for multi-track stuff. Um, and you know, as, as the technology improved and things evolved, um, they all sort of got mashed together. So now pro tools can, can, can totally do MIDI stuff and, and performer can totally do audio stuff. However, I think that you can kind of tell where each software came from originally. Yeah, it's true. I mean, guys, it it feels like MIDI software with audio attached, or it feels like audio software with MIDI attached. Absolutely. You know? Um, and it's kind of funny that way. It feels like a car that things been added onto the it, side. I think it makes sense. I mean, and it's it really de- you know, and it speaks to the the strengths. You know, if you're if you're a guy who you know, like I, the guys I met like were who were really into composing and and arrangement and you know writing music, so to speak, uh, were big sequencer fans, and they were you know they were always the performer guys, and then the guys who were really into recording things and multi tracking and you know making records were all Pro Tools guys, and they were you know Pro Tools what Pro Tools really excelled at and still does, I think. Um, is the ability to handle lots of m- high quantities of very fine and quick edits, like audio edits. Um, the way they that that was one of the reasons why they were so finicky and picky about their hard drives. They wanted hard drives that were fast enough to keep up with you know the uh, the read write. Um, which demand. is so cute nowadays. Yeah, well, it's but, so quaint. <laughs> I know, but in the old days, that, that you know that that was the largest demand on sure. uh, on a nonlinear audio editor was the ability for the hard drives to keep up and you know play the stuff back as you as you made your changes. There Whereas was with, a, with sequencing, it was no big deal. There was a company called Gadget Labs that made uh, yeah, audio guys. interfaces, and we used to we I recorded a whole album. We did eight tracks of uh, of you know um, basics. Uh, through through this little box. Actually, I think we had two of them plugged in so that we had 16 tracks. Nice. And I recorded like 12 tracks of basics and then we did a whole bunch of stuff over the top of it. But at the time, this was a $500 box or something ridiculously cheap for hmm. what it was, you know. Um, apparently, Mark the Unicorn, the guy who started it, his name is Mark. There's <laughs> some legend that he was actually in a band that had the name Unicorn in it, like in college. Oh. And that's where it came from. I gotcha. Uh, so... Years ago, mm-hmm. when I was at Berkeley, actually, I worked at a store on Newberry Street, and there was a woman who I worked with named LB, Lisa Beth. Mm-hmm. And Lisa Beth, uh, I was into music and computers, obviously, mm-hmm. and she she knew that. And so she calls me up one night. She said, hey, a friend of mine's in town. You're into music and computers. He's into music and computers. You guys should meet. 
And so we went out to dinner with this guy whose name I cannot remember for the life of me right now. Steve. Let's say his name was Steve. Steve. Yeah. And so we go out to pizza with Steve and, and we're talking like that. And I was like, well, what exactly does he do before we met up? She's like, I don't know. He does some computer thing. I was like, all right, fine. So we sit down and at Berkeley, uh, um, Vision was like, you know, Vision Studio is what you used. You know, uh-huh. you took classes, you did all kinds of stuff in Vision. Sure. Um, and so this kid comes and he's wearing ripped t-shirt and ripped jeans, kind of like a like a kind of a semi-dirty t-shirt, ripped jeans, long hair, kind of a hippie-looking guy. Was he into rock and roll music? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, it turns out he was. His name was Chris something. Just popped into my head. Hmm. His his uh, he was on the team that programmed Vision. Hmm. And he was in Boston in Cambridge specifically because the cakewalk people flew him out oh. to try to poach him. Huh. How'd that and go? I, and I remember. Well, uh, I don't remember if he got. The, I think he got offered the job, but he didn't take the job. Hmm. The point was is that he was all kind of messy, and I remember talking to him and saying to him. <laughs> Um, you went to the interview like that? Because literally he's wearing ripped jeans and a t-shirt. Sure. And he said to me something along the lines of, and I'll never forget this, he said, you know, they called me and they need me more than I need them. And if I can do the job, who cares what I was wearing to the interview? Like, they, like these people are smarter than to know that because he's not dressed up, he can't do the the stuff, you know? Sure. And I just, I remember thinking that and being like, wow, this guy's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and we went back and forth a little bit. He was pretty nerdy, but, uh, but he was a good guy. But anyway, so yeah, vision, but now opcode just whoo, disappeared essentially, right? Uh, they got eaten up by anybody. No, they did. Uh, I think what happened was Gibson or the company that uh. owns Gibson bought the whole opcode, you know, name brand, whatever you want to call it. This is like 10 years ago, a long time ago. But of 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 interesting note, of interesting note, uh, the one thing that Opcode really the the biggest mark that they made on the the Mac based audio industry was um, th- this this system called OMS, which was mm-hmm. the Opcode MIDI system. God, I hated that. Yeah, and it was a sort of a necessary evil. It was pretty cool if you think about it, because remember, the, no, you at know, the time back in the was, days, what's... nobody was doing this. They, so yeah. if you wanted to, if you wanted to to take MIDI devices. And have them, you know, talk to your computer and then the software that's on your computer and interact and all that stuff. Uh, somebody, you know, somebody needed to write that software. No, absolutely. And that's what OMS did. So OMS um, kind of turned into this, this, you know, because nobody else did or maybe, maybe because they did it first or maybe because they were the best at it. I think I want to say Motu had their own they did. version of it. And I can't remember what the yeah, hell it was called. Yeah, either can I. They, they totally did. But but OMS was the was first or the bigger or the the more successful I can't remember what anyway here's here's the interesting thing so when OS ten you know came around and the guys at Apple wanted to uh, sort of centralize and integrate the audio uh, services that they, they I think this is I want to say in, in Mac OS ten four or 10.3, I can't remember. They they came up with a thing called core services or core... Well, the, the concept of core services is, is an OS 10 thing because there's lots of different things that use the word core in them. Uh, like core audio... And core audio was the first, uh, can, first can one. Can I, I interject could. one thing here? Sure. Apparently, uh, Opcode ceased development, product development in 1999. Uh-huh. And according to the Wikipedia page, some of Opcode's ex-employees went to work at Apple well, on Core Audio. That was the story I was about to tell. Oh, okay. Sorry. Didn't know you knew that. Way to steal my thunder. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the guys who wrote <laughs> OMS uh, went, or, or as I understood it, Apple essentially bought uh, the OMS like code and basically turned that into what we know now what yeah what we now know as core audio so that weird audio midi setup thing that no it, one ever normally touches it looks exactly like oms like yes. from from the old days with the little you know midi patching with the you know you drag the little connectors from one device to the other that's totally how oms was back in the old days yeah um so i remember and then they had they had an app called galaxy i think it was oh that was yeah a patch galaxy editor was awesome man but Super it's just cool. back in the day just trying to I just remember the nightmare. This was like late 90s. Just getting 
oh, I have these patches on this disc. Oh, I need to load them into here and then send them over MIDI to the to the synth. Sysx, using a MIDI Yeah, Sysx. exactly, yeah. using Sysx. And I was like, God, man. Like, it, I, I, oh, I made man. bumper stickers up at the time that said MIDI is for people with no friends. You Really? You went that far? Oh, yeah. In fact, I still have one. Man, you're committed. Uh, well, the idea was, to me, it was just like sitting around. And look, I've done it. Believe me, I've done it. Uh-huh. Uh, with a pile of... Uh, you know, synth boxes or now soft synths sure. and doing your stuff yourself. It's like, well, bring a drummer in and set up a microphone. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so the, but back then it was such a pain in the neck. Like with soft synth is so much easier than the actual external boxes. Uh, dude, I, ha- I hate to break it to you, man, but it is still very much the case. A lot of the times, uh, two, I, I, so as, as some of our listeners know, I'm also a practicing musician and I happen to play, uh, electronic drums or electric drums uh in a band or two and over the years i've you know i've, I've been keep the reason why i know about midi stuff in general is just because i've you know I've, I've always had uh some you know one finger in the electronic drum world drum drum scene did you have a drum cat i still have a drum cat my friend awesome yeah it's pretty sweet mickey mouse ears that's the one um so anyway um uh, I I, I re- returned to the world of electronic percussion uh, in maybe 2005 or 2006 and picked up this really slick little uh, Roland box, which uh, is the Roland SPDS, uh, and it you know it's essentially like a little sound module thing uh, has nine pads on it, and the cool thing about that is that it also had an integrated sampler into it, so it's it's all one box. You know, in the old days, like like for example, the drum cat that Bill just mentioned. That is just what's referred to as a controller. It's just it's just uh, a, you know a set of buttons that you can push. It doesn't actually make any noise. Does it, does it feel better than the Roland? Yeah. Well, it, it, it dude. Here's the thing. It it's made out of metal, solid. It's like it's so solid. I think the thing weigh, weighs like fifteen or twenty pounds. I mean, it's solid and heavy, and and uh, and the, the rubber surface that they use is a gummier, a little bit more forgiving uh, rubber surface. So sure. when you're playing it, you know you get a really nice bounce back on your stick. The Roland is made out of plastic, and the rubber's a little harder, or a little mushier. I can't really describe it. Just, they don't feel the same. Um, so from a, from a feel standpoint, the, the drum cat's superior. But from a convenience standpoint and a functionality standpoint, sure. um, the SPDS is, uh, is way more practical. Is, did you ever use an Octopad? Uh, I did. Because that was um, kind of the original, right? Well, th- they were one of the first. Yeah, the, the Roland Octopad uh, was one of the first devices that... Um, offered that sort of functionality and it, it too was just a controller it didn't have any sounds in it it was basically just eight pads uh with you know independent you know controls that you could plug into via midi uh, a sound module or a computer or whatever and, and trigger sounds that that you know that you would want to make um what was my point oh so the point is the uh the, the i just my most recent uh purchase is this thing called the yamaha uh dtx multi 12 which is uh, sort of like a you know a competitor to the SPDS. Um, neither the SPDS or the DTX Multi 12, neither of them have any form of external editor. So if I want to make patches, import sounds, manage manage how you know the settings of any of these uh, of any of these configurations, it's all being done on the little you know two by sixteen LCD with up and down buttons like from 1988. I mean, it is just it is torturous and I, I still don't i don't understand how hard could well, it be well a box like that is meant to be like basically you're supposed to use it kind of stock right no, no they have samplers in them they have the ability well, i know to it record. has a sampler in it but do you think that, oh i see what you're saying you can you can import well, hell the, the the spds even has like rca ins on it like and a mic in so that you could theoretically like do it on the fly while you're playing while you're so, performing so what is your what is what is your ideal? Do you think that they should have software built in, or do you think they should no. have a USB thing on the back? They and- have USB on them. You should be okay. able to plug them into your computer as a USB device, and Roland and or Yamaha or anybody. I would even buy a third-party one if somebody made one. I should be able to open up uh, a program, and then, boom, on my screen is a little virtual layout of the exact thing, and I can drag and drop sounds you know, sounds and, and parameters uh, for everything, like naming patches. Even naming patches is a pain in the ass. If I want to change the name of something, it takes me like a minute and a half. You know, two minutes just to sit there scrolling up and down through the alphabet. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I mean, it's, I guess it's... You're very it, angry about this. Uh, it's just something that's always bugged the crap out of me. You know, it's like... I understand it if it's an old vintage piece of gear, like a Yamaha DX7 or whatever. Oops. Sorry about that. Um, but 
we're in the year 2000 now, man. I mean, yeah. it's not that hard. Someone should do it. My buddy Harden, who has, who I think listens to the podcast, so he's going to be thinking, what is he going to say about me? Mm. Uh, he's a songwriter, and he's got racks of old synths. Mm-hmm. Some of which are like real, you know, good old synths, like weird. Uh, I think he's got a um, uh, an Oberheim, oh, nice. that, that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah, those are great. But he's also got like a bunch of sort of mid '90s, early 2000s, little black box, you know, Yamaha and Roland kind of things. Sure. Um, which you know, he's got a giant 32 or even more channel Mackie to try to wrangle all these things, and he's got three or four 16 channel MIDI input oh, output box. Yeah, those you know, MIDI like those things. Things. those things. Those yeah. things are cool. I remember those. Yeah. but. You know, I mean, MIDI wasn't designed to do that. I mean, the people are extending MIDI to things. That, that they're kludging it together in order to turn it into something that it really was never designed to do, you know. Um, it's true. I, I mean, I think I, I got a kick out of the fact that people use MIDI for other stuff like... Oh, like lighting uh, and that yeah, kind of stuff? controlling lights and robots yeah. and other... Which actually things. makes perfect sense because it's, you know, it's pretty small. It's, the data stream is slow, but yeah, it's, it's fine serial. for that kind you know, of stuff. Right, you, can, exactly. you can translate it to RS-242 or any other sort of serial, really right. basic serial signal. So, but, but he's got all this stuff set up and I keep trying to say to him, Harden, like if you, cause if he goes back and wants to work on some song you worked on six months ago, mm-hmm. he's got to get all of those boxes to the right patches and to the right things and load the right samples and do, you know, all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which to me is like, man, that is number one reason I would never use hardware over software since, you know? Because yeah, you can get ninety eight percent of that stuff. So there's two, and we can this this sort of concept can can translate to other things. I should also mention one of the things he, I, he is a collector of such things. Yeah. So first of all, we, we sort of just uh, we hinted at this a little at the beginning, but one of the things I've always been completely fascinated by is just how closely related audio stuff is to video stuff. I mean. I mean, it's it's only gotten even more so over the you know over the years. But you know, from things like plugins. When you say plugin, I mean, there's audio plugins and there's there's you know video plugins too. You know, yep. the, the, so a lot of the concepts and what are you going to call them processes that we talk about in audio can be directly translated into you know image as well, video visual yep. stuff. But anyway, um, what I was going to say is. What the hell was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> we were just talking about. Oh, so what I was going to say is, is your 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 point of view. Your when you say you'd prefer soft synths versus the the hard hard way that that your friend does, I would personally probably lean towards the way that your friend does it. Uh, really? Why? Because uh, it sounds different. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. If okay, yes. If you have, so, so go ahead. Well, so, so the point is, you have two choices to make. You, you, you're like, well, is my setup that complicated, and I need that many different things going on, where I'm willing to sacrifice a little on the sound quality to make the management a little easier, or is is the sound quality that important that I'm willing to suffer a little bit and make it a little bit harder to manage? If you're talking about analog synths. I you could make a case for that. Although I don't know that anybody other than fifteen people in a box would ever hear it in a mix. I don't, you know? I don't know about yeah. I mean, you might be right. I don't know. Um, it is, it, but if you're talking about like digital synths, they could model a Korg, you know, M1 in in a, in a, a soft synth probably fairly easily, so that it's exactly the same. Okay, but here's the thing. What do you think about this? So. I've I've been able to hear and tell the difference between um, there's something my friend Brando who I'm is not saying I, they're all equal. No, they're, I know. You know. We should have him on the podcast too to talk about this because he could explain this better than me. But um, there's a difference between like six sounds coming out of the same output coming out of the same device. Like even if you let's say you had like one of those nice little like your Pro Tools rig, which right, which has eight ins and eight outs, right? The A to D and the D to A is all happening on the same board by the same chip doing, you know, it's the same routine. And it, and it sounds, there, there's a sort of weird kind of a summing, a weird kind of like s- similarity uh, that happens to everything that, I don't know, it, it feels like the, that that color, it's, what's, I can't make a good analogy in, in the photo world um, right now. Um, but essentially it feels like they're, all, you know, it all has the potential to sound 
a little too too canned or a little too close together. Whereas if you have multiple things, all you know, this this sound is coming out of this box and this is coming out of it. Where you use like a mixer, and you know, ideally a mixer is a little bit more transparent um, and will let the thing sound like like itself. Uh, you'll get you'll get more true, more unique sounding sounds. I disagree. Okay. I, I I have come to the thing where I like mixing digitally, first mm-hmm. of all. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'd much rather sit there and play with, uh, um, like, a, a volume waveform, you know, like a, a vector thing, you know, with curves and points and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. to mix than I would with an analog mixer. And look, I've mixed with, you know, SSL consoles and, you know, I've done all that stuff. Um, if anything, the digital, like doing it all digitally yeah. should be cleaner than outputting all that stuff and putting it through some sort of analog thing that's messing with it. Now, yeah, you may like the analog thing. That's what I'm saying. Clean, of the analog clean, thing. clean isn't necessarily a good thing. Right. But I mean, there's ways to, you know, I there there are a ton of variables in this, a lot to do with how things sounded in the analog stuff versus digital stuff. and But there's a lot of stuff mixed in the 80s that was all these late 80s early 90s that's all digital like the chicago stuff from the late 80s you know uh-huh. like sure which sounds really digitally because a lot of it was very digital synth and stuff doesn't sound analog in any way although stay the night is a pretty kick-ass song yeah but i don't think there's any analog instruments on that at all no, uh, that particular one, I don't think there are. But the point is, is that I don't think that it sounds any better because those synths were output to a console and mixed together. You know, they are a good engineer. And I think that's that's a bigger difference than a lot of this stuff that you're talking about, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, I, 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 the point is, is that if he's... Look, he's doing demos. He's not he's not recording like the final version of the new lady gaga record no which, and i guess which the, my guess was mixed on pro tools all digitally sure sure you know the, the the analogy i think would would in in photo would be sort of the difference between getting as much of it in camera um practically versus compositing you know it's like uh if you composite it that's that's like the version of that's like digital mixing but if you get it all happening you know in the camera or, you know, you get as many of the parts getting of it. it all happening in the camera is like sticking one or two mics in a room with a bunch of people playing. Exactly. And getting it, getting it sounding the way it sounds. Whereas right. when you, when you composite it, uh, it's like, you know, but the minute you're mic and everything and having all different inputs coming in and, and mixing it all on the board is the same damn thing as if you record all the things separately and mix it later. Yeah. It's not, like I said, it's not the best analogy, but it's close. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, is that, it used to be a real pain in the neck to do this stuff, but oh, now, <laughs> yeah, now it's with, like man with plugins. Yeah, I mean, it's like insane. I, I had even years ago. This was two thousand five, two thousand six. I had a two gigabyte Steinway piano plugin. Uh huh. And man, did it sound good! I'll bet. In fact, I want to pull my keyboard out and start playing it. I mean, it it sounded fun. It sounded great. You was know. it with, uh, were you using, what was a Giga sample or whatever it was called? Uh, I wasn't using Giga sampler, although it was a Giga sample sample. Yeah. And then I converted it into something else. Nice. Um, and used it. Um, but, you know, so audio plugins are crazy cool. And now there's all these companies that go and actually try to replicate old boxes. Yeah, sure. Modeling. Yeah. They, they model old, old like compressors and old EQs. And a lot of them sound really good because we have enough CPU horsepower now that we can throw cycles at this stuff. It's true. Know? So it's the, true. The, the the difference between the real one and the fake one like diminishes. It's sort of like a calculus thing. Like, will well, it ever hit zero? No. Yeah. It's going to approach zero. Well, one of the I think one of the first the first classic example of of I think the first successful and most popular uh, model modeled synth was Rebirth. I don't know if you remember that. The yeah, sure. Propeller, pro, uh, propeller heads from Sweden made that. Um, that's like in what ninety six or ninety five. Um, yeah. And that was a terrific little you know physically modeled version of the classic Roland eight oh eight and three oh three. Yeah. Uh, drum machine and uh, baseline synthesizer. In fact, as those things got fancier, I know that the second John Mayer record like has a lot of like these background beat kind of things. Mm-hmm. And apparently he did all the demos and the writing with Rebirth. Yeah. In fact, in fact, Rebirth was the reason for reason. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, sure. I take it back. So now I'm remembering all of this. Uh, so the, the Propellerhead's first commercial 
product was this really cool uh, app called uh, Recycle. Uh, and uh, Recycle. So you cut up tracks, right? Yeah, Recycle. Yeah. So Recycle, like if you had a, a drum loop or a pattern, um, and let's say you wanted to speed it up or slow it down, um, but this, it's actually audio. You know, this is an actual audio file. Um, what, what Recycle would do is it would go in and analyze the waveform and mark, put little markers at the beginnings of every major event in that file. And then, you know, if it's, if you have a nice clean recording of a drum loop, there's, you know, there's just the, whatever the, the five or six sounds or, uh, however many notes there were in, in that loop. And it would put markers in front of each one of them. And then, and this is where the cool part came in. Then you could adjust. It was smart enough to do the math, to adjust the spacing between those notes to, uh, to, to adjust the tempo. Yeah. Um, so you can, you know, so let's say this re- loop was recorded at 96.7 beats per minute and you wanted to scooch it up a little to a hundred. It could do that. You could, you know, it was smart enough to do the tempo analysis and then make the correction. Um, so that was their, that was their first sort of claim to fame. And but again, then, that was something that I would never want to do unless I absolutely had to. Yeah. In the old days, it was a bigger deal. Now, now it's sort of become commonplace and people do it all the time and you can do it in real time. Uh, Ableton live has a really terrific sure. implementation of that as well. Uh, for live looping and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, so that first they made uh, Rebirth, the, um, sorry, Recycle, then they made Reason, uh, sorry, <laughs> then they, first they made Recycle, then they made Rebirth, and then they made Reason, and then Reason sort of blew up. Reason was that, like, you know, the, I, I still think of it as, like, the, the king of all, you know, virtual synths. I never liked as. it, though. No? I never liked using it. I don't know. I'm just never, I've never been a big pattern guy. Yeah, I mean it's 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 sort of a one trick pony if you think about it as far as the way it it does everything. I, I got a kick out of the design. I thought it was what I really what was really impressive to me, almost more so than the, the sound, the retro looking, which is which is the level of detail and the commitment that these guys made to making it look and feel really fun to use just as an app, you know, from a True. software standpoint. I mean, the fact that you could hit the tab button, I think it was, and flip the entire rack around yeah. and, like, drag and drop cable connections yep. to make your patches, and then the cables would, like, do a little a little wag, you know, a little kind of, like, the inertia from the, the thing being spun around. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And then, you know, if you wanted to label stuff, that they, they used, a, like, a handwriting font on a, on a, on a piece of masking tape kind of thing. Yep. I mean, yep. you know, whatever. It's a little cheesy nowadays. But th- this is, like, 10, 12, 15 years ago. No, it was totally cool. And the, and the, and the way that they had the rack of stuff and you could actually expand and contract. Yeah, yeah. It was such yep. a cool concept, It man. looked really cool. Yeah. You know? And, in fact, I think reason is what John Mayer used, not... Um, yeah, it's safe. I, but, I know lots of people that use... Hell, you see them, dude, on the subway. You see, like, ads yeah. for those, you want to be a recording engineer? We'll teach you reason. You know, that's, like, one of the things that they teach in school yeah. now. It's nuts. Wait, did you see that the uh, there, there's a version for the iPad now? Uh, yeah, you can get Rebirth, the original yeah. Rebirth for, for the, now, uh, the iPad. All that kind of, like, techno-y... All that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I I never understood that stuff. What do you mean? Like I never understood making it. I never understood listening to it. Like that that whole uh, rebirth world of music, you know, where people used to send their little rebirth files, which are essentially MIDI files, right? Yeah, it's just like a little program. Yeah, actually, just um, you know, patterns. But Not, I just no it's sounds. like it's it's setting up those patterns and turning patterns on and off. It always felt like it wasn't. It never. It didn't feel like music to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like. Um, I don't know how to put this. It, it it was like it was putting it together pixel by pixel if it was a picture. You know what I mean? Like it was it was so structured and I'm going to make a A section and A section, then it'll be B section and B section. You know, it just felt like you're not playing a song, you're like building it measure by measure. You're building a song. Right. And 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 it just I don't know, it felt very inorganic to me. Like it felt the antithesis of music. Well, it is in, it is inorganic if you think yeah. about it. I mean, it's you, you are programming a computer. Apparently, you can get it for the iPhone now. No, no surprise. Uh, no shocker there. No surprise there. That's um, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine? Well, just, it used to it. take a big giant computer. I know. Your iPhone is more powerful than the computer you had on your desk ten, ten years ago. I know. It's just kind of funny. Anyway, um, but I mean, I hear what you're saying as far as it being inorganic, but I don't think that's a that's a bad thing, man. I think that's actually kind of neat. If, I mean, think about this. All music, not all music, but let's let's just summarize to pop music. All popular music adheres to this pretty standard sure. it has know, the formula. structure you know, I, it's no, like I you know a section b section chorus verse bridge blah blah yeah, blah yeah, yeah. i mean you know that, that's how it works you know no and i understand all that i you know it just there's something about it that just felt like it was for people who 
Oh, I know what you're you're getting at. You feel like that it it, it diminished the the quality and that you know because the, there was it was a, a lower of level of kitties playing yeah, with because there was a lower level of skill involved. It's like you didn't exactly. need to be a musician. You didn't need to have musical skill, quote unquote, to to do it. You just had to press these buttons, like literally click, 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 yeah, click, click, and it was saying. like, yeah, you know, and it, you. it was just kind of like, okay, I I know you're 14 years old and you're writing music for a video game, right? But that's not writing music. That's it's the equivalent. You know what it is? It's the equivalent of people taking pictures with their iPhone and then putting like some giant filter on it with some app and they're like, Oh, look at this beautiful thing I made. It's Man, like, well, you know, I wouldn't you didn't I, make that. It was just some stupid filter you dropped on it. Not necessarily. I see. That's not the same. I, I mean, now you're getting back into plug-in territory. I, I think that's well, a, ultimately we're going to get back there with, no, I know, too. but that's not the best um, analogy. I think a better analogy would be somebody using clip art, you know, okay, or somebody. Yeah, no, it is. That's exactly. Okay. That's better. Yeah. You're right. Cause, cause you know, putting a filter on something, there's still some intent there. There's still some, 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 whatever yeah. you want to call it. But, but you know, when you take these little packaged patterns and these little, you know, you're literally just flipping a couple of buttons. Um, it's not as, uh, it's not as creative. It's not as intentional. You know what yeah, I mean? It's more like music design than music. Yeah, I guess so. I don't, I don't know. know. It just, there's something about it that always just was kind of like, this is lesser than, yeah. Well, the fact that I don't know, but at the same time, man, you hear guys. I mean, look at Stevie Wonder, dude, man. Oh he, no, there, there he, are he embraced that this, stuff early yeah. on and made some pretty cool sounding stuff with it. And there know? are people who do use it for really serious stuff and know what they're doing. It's and just that it's it's easy to make something sound reasonable. Ha ha ha! Get it? But but uh, difficult to make something that sounds special. I don't you know. know. I guess so. it's like the, there's I mean, a, there's a plateau. You could you could just open it up and hit play and press a couple buttons and you have something that sounds like you know what you're doing. I get, you can make the same argument for like point and shoot cameras though too. Man. Absolutely, it's like you know point and shoot cameras aren't aren't terribly technical and you know they don't really on their own in the in the the most basic of hands they don't really take the best looking pictures. But you you know with some intent and some some yeah, it creativity seems even more than that. It's more like it's more like uh, it's like taking a screenshot of a really nice webcam that's set up overlooking Manhattan, and it's like, oh, I choose to take the picture now, and it's like, okay, that's not. It's already done. It's already set up. I guess. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Plugins, very cool stuff, and yeah, also totally. works well. You know, back in the nineties, you used to have to do one at a time. Like if you didn't do the real time stuff, I used to do stuff in SoundForge, and if I was working on some uh, mix, like mastering some mix, it was like you had to do. Uh, EQ first, then compression. Oh, or right, compression, right. You then had to make EQ. Choices about that. That's right. yeah, and you had to like run in the order and kind of build it up step by step. Right, which is kind of it's just amazing, and that because it couldn't do it in real time. You know, <laughs> I, I think stack, I don't I remember think the Pro point Tools, at which it started stacking them in real time. It was like a whole new world. Yeah, I don't think Pro Tools up until really recently. I think it's always um, been real time only i think that it's, it's all you know i don't think yes yeah. that was actually one of the advantages i always thought that digital performer had over pro tools was when you were bouncing stuff you know with pro tools if you had like a 45 minute mix you had to sit there for 45 minutes and listen to it whereas well you know digital performer can crank it out as fast as it could i pro tools i mean i haven't used it in years but the interface like i'm pretty good at that stuff the mm -hmm. interface was like are you kidding me oh, what you, you know what do you i have no idea it was, i mean you know it was all it was really to, to pro tools credit uh it, it it was and very much is still today all about uh keyboard commands um and you know and any any serious pro tools user knows those keyboard commands in and out and they, they sort of <laughs> they get around the interface because they know what buttons they need to push to get the things they need done yeah um, it's uh by the way pro tools does still sell uh, DSP cards. Oh, I'm sure they do. Of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's all they're, about... They're, the, but they're not as necessary as they used to be. No, because, I mean, this is all, like, super real-time, crazy low latency, but it's like, if you're just recording music, who cares? The as long as everything's in sync. No, it's more for, like, you have this... It takes a quarter second, yeah. Right. The farm cards are for, like, you've got this tremendous, awesome... You, you invested a ton of money in this really kick-ass reverb plug-in or, or compressor, compression, you know, whatever, dynamics plug-in. And uh, and you need it like on all sixteen of your channels, you know, and yeah. you want it to yeah. to sound it, right. So that's what you do. Um, although that's not really how anybody should use reverb anyway. Well, you should set up a send. And, you, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so this gets us into photo plugins. Do you do you use any? What do you use? Um, it really depends. The only thing I would say I have any that has any kind of um, consistency, yeah. um, regularity is. Um, the Nick N I K um, Silver 
effects, I think is what it's called. The, the, the one that does the black and white film emulation and conversion. Okay. I've been really impressed with that, man. That, that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've, I've done, you know, RGB and CMYK to, to, to grayscale conversion manually in Photoshop, you know, using duo tones and all that other fun stuff. But, um, the, the way that this thing does it just so quickly and it really looks awesome, you know, as far as, and it has a bunch of different presets for, you know, different film types and looks and what have you, you know, like, you know, uh, whatever T max with an orange filter kind of thing, you know, you can just push a button and boom, there it is. And you, you know, you can, and then you can tune in the, the grain and the contrast and what have sure. you. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I think that's a really great plugin. I, you know, I, I sort of, I can I got off of the once Lightroom had green and you could do all the, like the black and I, I just like having the control. I don't like clicking presets as a general rule of thumb. Um, but a lot of people accuse me of, uh, using a lot of plugins to get the looks like the the look and drabbles and that kind of stuff. They they think that it's like a one click. Oh, really? did you use such and such plugin really? two point two thousand? Huh. Oh yeah, I wouldn't. Have in fact, that. I remember I can't remember which one that everyone always said that I use, and I'm like, no, I don't use any of that stuff. Huh. Um, the only things that I use regularly are ones that are built in. You know. Yeah. Um, You're a uh, purist. I'm I'm a fair, well you know I just feel like if I'm doing it I there's an intention there's an intention there mm-hmm. and doing it manually it's like it's my hand was on it the whole time it's not like it was automated um, and I don't know I take some pride in that I I hear that but at the same time I mean you can make the analogy to like using uh, a hand drill versus a power drill it's yes like, no, you know, I, it's well like, obviously wrong, I you know. use a power drill I use Photoshop but I but I. It, it's amazing, though, a lot of the ones that I've played with, the plugins I've played with, um, a lot of the plugins I play with are, they always feel like they're not actually anything more than taking the built-in plugins and... Automating them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it, to me, it just kind of feels like, well, then that's not really anything new. You're just sort of... Saving you know, your time and energy. You're doing what I would do in curves, you know? Right. Like, so okay. why don't... I mean, and you're saying that's a bad thing? No, I just I want somebody to write a plugin that's actually doing manipulations on the data that I couldn't do in Photoshop. Oh, like that's why I would so, want. Yeah, a there, there's a couple. Like like another example would be genuine fractals. That's a pretty neat one. Yeah, the, the but but I haven't. I never noticed that the quality was that much better than upresing because Photoshop has gotten really good at upresing. It is, now. but in the old days before Photoshop did get as good at it. That's where that came from. Yes, and that's but now people coming... still use it as if Photoshop can't do those no, things. No, that's true, and, that's... and that that's that's a fun little little thing that we might want to touch on real quick is that um and apple is super guilty of this um from a from not on a plug-in sort of well here's the thing so you 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 have your your base product like like mac os you know or adobe photoshop or pro tools or whatever and it does these things and then some some user some programmer is out there and he's like oh man it'd be super cool if if that product would do this thing um, so on the Mac OS, you know, this guy writes a little thing would, would be super cool if there was a clock in the upper right hand corner of my computer. And, yeah. and then he releases a little piece of shareware or whatever, you know, you could look at it as a plugin if you want, it's a little application. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in a year, everybody downloads it and loves it. And the guys at Apple are like, Oh, wow, we really like that too. We're going to do that too. So they either buy it from him or they, they just sort of, <laughs> then they, they'll, they'll snub him. You know, these days it's gotten a little bit worse, but in the old days, I, 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 Apple used to actually, you know, buy out the. The product they'd actually buy the the code and with the money they have they probably should yeah I don't I don't know why uh, what who what the criteria is for what whether they'll do that or not I mean there's there's you can look it up there's dozens there's dozens of uh, examples of of where they've done you know either or um, there's another app called Light Switch which was what what it looks exactly like the the Command Tab application switcher program now and I don't think they bought that one there's something yeah. called Sherlock uh, in the old days in OS nine um, Sherlock was the search engine you know, the built-in OS search and there's a companion to it called Watson that Sherlock basically just totally, you know, pr- you know, stole. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, anyway, the point is there are guys out there that write these little add-ons, AKA plugins. Uh, and then as the, the host application evolves, the developers are, are more and more inclined to incorporate those cool features into the software itself. And Photoshop is a, is another great example of, of, of doing that, you know, um, I mean, but they don't just add getting... that often. Well, every version they add a new set of features. Um, no, 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 they, more they, they add others. features, but very few of them actually rep. Like it's funny, the there used to be a big thing uh, for sharpening filters. 
fact, isn't there a Nick Sharpener? Yeah. That everyone is. used for so long? Sure. Um, I, I always used to be a an unsharpened mask guy. I was like old school. Yeah, unsharpened mask is, it's, sure. it's been around forever. However, now Smart Sharpen's been there for the last two or three versions. Mm-hmm. And Smart Sharpen is as good or better than any of those secondary sharpening plugins to to like as far as i'm concerned sure know? well and you, um, there's there's you know other ones uh like um what was i gonna say well we, we already talked about the whole the, the black and white conversion thing yep. that's one uh selecting is another one like you know all yep. those masking masks. you know making making being able to select you know masks quickly and i've never found one that works very well even it, the Adobe ones don't work very well. Yeah, but the point is those have evolved, and Adobe has yeah. gotten better. Like, if you True. go into that, I mean, into the selection menu now, or the select menu, whatever it is. I don't Refine know edges and all that stuff. All that stuff. That's awesome. And that but stuff you, all you, used to be only available as third-party plugins. True. Now, but do you, do you think that they're wrong to be adding those features? No, no. Okay. I think it's great. Do you think that... Um, it does bother me, though, a little that when you see the ads for, say, Nick Sharpener uh-huh. or some similar kind of thing. Uh-huh. Sure. They make it seem as if like these are things you couldn't do in Photoshop as it is. Well, that's that's they're trying to and spin it, man. They're of trying to of sell course, it they're trying to spin it, but people are stupid. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> and they're going to go spend two hundred dollars on a plugin to sharpen when well, Smart Sharpen would work fine. Well, maybe you know, maybe people don't want to take the time and 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 monkey with it that much because again, the the, with the plugin, the value that the plugin is bringing is allegedly anyway, uh, time saving, convenience, you know. Uh, or maybe yeah. maybe an additional layer of quality or additional layer of variety, you know. A lot of I mean, while you might not like like you might think that you know picking a preset from a from a big old list is cheesy, uh, some other people might interpret that as time saving and you know valuable. True, but you know to bring back your analogy of the hand drill, like yeah. okay, well you know what, instead of an electric drill, I'm going to buy this robot that's going to do everything for me. Uh-huh. Well then, what the hell did I just do? You bought the robot. And you're making money. Exactly. Well, okay. Well, that's therein lies the thing. You're making money. You're not yeah. making art. Some people like to make money. True, but it's. I. I just think that those are those are two different things. What making money and making art? Yes. I they suppose. they they could overlap, but I think that they are. You know, if 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 all you're trying to do is make money, then fine. Use you know your plugin that literally one click does the work of. 10 hours but that also means that it doesn't take any skill to do it see now we're we're touching back on the thing we talked about i think during our last episode where the you know some photographers you know don't do anything anymore they have all their their crews and their assistants and you know they just show up and push the button kind of thing and you yep. don't you don't want to be one of those and you don't like those types of dudes i do not uh and i i understand i can't say that i i like them very much myself but i don't have the same reservations or issues that you do and I have no problem I don't have a problem being part of that system because I think that's the way the world works you also yeah yeah <laughs> but I also shoot a lot more than you do like for myself and for, you know what I mean it's true like I, yeah you, you you believe in the, the I art take it more personally a yeah. little bit more uh, true heartily than I do. Yeah. Not that I don't believe in it, but yeah. we have, you know, we have, we're, we're at different spots on that scale. There are a couple um, other plugins, though, that I do like. There's one called Exposure. Oh, that's that a great one. Alien yeah. Skin Al- Alien makes. Skin's made some... And the other one that Alien, Alien Skin Alien Skin makes good stuff. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, yep. Their other kick-ass one uh, is their Boca one. Um, uh, which I've never used. Uh, I do, however, use... See, they have one called Blow Up that is for making bigger images right, the, too like the genuine fractals one uh the other one that i always used was where is it oh you know what uh, another one i used to use one well you we'll, we'll say what you're gonna say i can't even find it on here where the heck is it the other one that, what like maybe five or six years ago when i first kind of got back into digital photography i was really uh taken by a, a couple of the ones by flaming pear uh, they made one called there. Melancholy Tron, I think it was. It was, and jeez, uh, uh, it was one that did this really cool um, combination of like defocusing and they have contrasty. A very bad website, and, yeah, I'm sure. I don't think they. I don't know how how active they are anymore. I think this is like again five or six years ago. Um, but they had, they had some really neat effects that I I liked using. No, that's cool stuff. Yeah. The uh, I there was one, maybe it's not. Oh, it's not them. It's Noel. Oh yeah, well you know who Noel is. Yeah, uh, but the Noel Light Factory. Yeah, that's a, it's amazing. Uh, I've used a bunch when I'm looking for um, 
like uh, lens flarey kind of things. Of course. Um, and for, for those who don't know who Noel is, you know, John and his brother, uh, like, invented Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. They wrote it a long time ago, 20 years uh, ago. But that is, it's funny. Sometimes you see the original uh, Photoshop lens flare still used places. Sure. And it's so bad because it's it's like so to anybody who knows it, they're like, oh, really? Yeah. You couldn't well, it, get a it's better come lens. a long way, though. I mean, it's way better than it used to be. Yeah. Actually, really? Because it always seems like it's the same thing to me. Uh, I, I I haven't fired it up in a while, but... but. Uh, anyway, so the point is, is that there there are a few plugins that I like, but see, there are things that you couldn't I couldn't do. Like Light Factory, the, the flares you get out of that are really nice, and if you massage them a bit yeah, and do yeah, stuff to them... Yeah, if you do it tastefully. Yeah, it's you, it's very useful stuff, oh, and the oh. uh, and that exposure thing actually yeah. is very similar to the black and white tool that you were talking about. Yeah, it can do totally. like film emulations and stuff. Totally, totally. Although right. I've never been able to get any of these things to make a film emulation that I believe. Does, does that make sense? That like, if I yeah. click Kodachrome, it never really looks no, like well, Kodachrome. It to can't me. look. I mean, it's going to look something like it. It's more like an homage. Yeah. It's not yeah. going to look exactly like it. Uh, I'm waiting different. for there to be plugins. In the camera. Well, uh, I was actually going to say in Lightroom that can do more. That I know, I mean, there are, there's import-export plugins, and there are some weird other things that people have, like, sort of attached to Lightroom. Yeah, like little presets. My, my dream would be to basically, for the camera manufacturers, to make it so that the, the actual code, like at the machine level, if you will, yeah. um, it will actually change the way that the, that the chip in the sensor in the camera is interpreting the light to, to, to mimic these other analog fashions. Well, that's essentially what you're doing with raw data, right? I, I guess so, but I feel like I want to do. I want it to be in the in the in the sensor itself. Like like the sensor would make actually make a physical change somehow to to, oh, okay. to change the way that the the that the light is being translated. I I think that they somehow I feel like that could all be done better. And I I don't know. I, oh, mean, I think I, it's, look. It's I'm not. I'm not. A, yeah. It's it's going to happen. What but about, it would be uh, nice to be able to, because I've tried, there are people who have Lightroom uh, uh, presets, you know, like there's yeah, all yeah. kinds of Lightroom presets totally. you can download people, but mm-hmm. a lot of them are just crap. Well, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I want to find a good set that's like really amazing. You probably have to make your own. I, you know, yesterday I was trying to find, I used a brush set on that drabble of Cynthia with the raining inside with the umbrella. Mm-hmm. I used this brush set to get the water in there. And I need it for something else that I'm working on. I need it for the Rockwell thing, and I can't for the life of me find hmm. the brush set. Well, check one which your is old just hard infuriating. No, because... Oh, yeah. Well, ooh, good point. Yeah, man. Check your old backups, bro. It might actually be on there. Or, you know, what you could do is you can always go to uh, Kai's Power Tools, man. KPT Bryce. That made some... I great, forgot great. about Remember that? Kai's you can make Power some Tools. canyons or some fractals. God, I never liked those interfaces, Come on, dude. Though. We can make some spheres. See, you know what's funny? Those interfaces, that's what Aperture feels like to me. I hear you. Oh, Poser? I, I was just joking. I used Poser. Oh, yeah. Poser was great. Yeah. That's still around. I think Is they it really? Used it, yeah, they use that in uh, animation. Uh, it's fancy people. I thought you were calling me a Poser. <laughs> no. Um, Poser 5, baby. Locals only, yo. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up. Okay. Got anything to add? I don't think so. Uh, you can... Oh, wait. Reach. What? Uh, somebody tweeted something. Hang what on one tweet? second. Hang on. I'll bring it up. Stand somebody, by. Somebody tweeted something? Yeah. Uh, Twitter user Feodor Photo. Feodor. Okay. Uh, he asked... Apparently in episode 35, we talked about a burger chain that we both liked. Uh, would that be five guys? It would probably five guys because that's... I I mean, we we've... That's probably the only thing that we could that we both you know around upon. here around here. Well, it's, it's actually they're they're all over the place. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's but I, I just mean that like if we were on the west coast, in and out. Yeah, on uh, in and out, and there's also Shake Shack here in the uh, Shake city. Shack. Yeah, but they're Which not. As I've chain-y. been to a few times. It's it's a bit Shake Shack is more in and out than Five Guys is. You think so? I haven't. See, I, it's been too long. Yeah, because Shake Shack is a little more so like fresh, smaller burgers. Uh, five Guys is like, you know, they're really well done burgers, lots of fat. They're not mm-hmm. good for you. Mm. They're, they're good, though. They're tasty. Let's go get some Five Guys. I think you're onto something there. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> if you have any questions about our burger preferences or otherwise, yes. uh, you could send them uh, to us via email, which is circuitousconversations at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, you can also have- hit us up on Twitter, like our friend here, uh, Theodore Photo. 
uh, and that is at CircConv on Twitter. Uh, we are also at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on Twitter. And uh, and you can go to circuitous.tv to read um, show notes and comments. Yes, participate in the in the conversation. All right. Uh, is that L? I think so. All right. Uh, Till next week. Have a good one. Bye.